Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor, Director of Research and Strategy at 11FS. In today's episode, we're asking, how do changes in government affect innovation in financial services? It's often said that innovation precedes regulation. Governments can accelerate or roll back growth and innovation in financial services as they see fit. After the 2008 global financial crisis, governments all around the world passed strict regulations to keep a closer eye on banks' behaviour. A lot of people argue that this helped to develop some of the biggest fintechs and fintech markets that we know today. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Not all intervention is positive. To explore this dynamic, we'll focus on the UK, the US and Latin America, three huge fintech markets. So today we put together a panel of experts to discuss what role do governments play in financial services? To what extent are governments responsible for innovation in the UK, the US, and the Latin American markets? And what sort of impact could governments have on future innovation in those markets? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go away. Does your product or service work for everybody? Are you unconsciously alienating some of your audience? Packed with all the handy tips and actual insight, our brand new inclusive design report has all of the information you need to embed a truly representative mindset in your organization. Head to 11fs.com forward slash inclusive dash design and download it today. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by an amazing panel of guests who are going to shed some light on this super interesting topic. First off, we have a FinTech Insider debut for Janae Eo, Director of Financial Policy at the Chamber of Progress in Washington, DC. Welcome to the show, Janae. Can you give our audience an introduction to you and your role at the Chamber of Progress, please? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Janae Eo, and I'm the Director of Financial Policy at Chamber of Progress. Chamber of Progress is a tech industry policy coalition promoting technology's progressive future. My organization works to ensure that all Americans benefit from technological leaps and that the tech industry operates responsibly and fairly. I work on emerging technology in the financial services industry, focusing on fintech and crypto policy. I'm really excited to be here with you all, and thank you for having me. Oh, welcome. And we also have a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Janine Hurt, CEO of Innovate Finance. Welcome back, Janine. Always good to have you. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a reminder about you and your role at Innovate Finance, please? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm Janine Hurt. I'm CEO of Innovate Finance. We are the industry body for UK Fintech. And we represent your early stage through to your high growth companies here in the UK and abroad. And we cover all fintech verticals. So your more traditional plays like P2P, FX transfer, but also artificial intelligence, crypto, cybersecurity, and beyond. And a core part of what we do is we advocate and we lobby on behalf of the sector to UK government. So really excited to talk about uh, this topic today. Fantastic. Welcome back. And last, but by no means least, we have a fintech insider return for Bruno Diniz, co-founder of Spiralem. Great to have you here, Bruno. Can you likewise give us a little bit of a background, a little bit of a bit of background on you and Spiralem, please? Sure, definitely. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I think it's the third time here in, uh, in the podcast, so it's great, great to be back. Uh, basically, my firm, Spiralem, we are focused on corporate innovation for the financial sector. 
So we ran from hackathons to other types of specific works with um, with with uh, big financial firms uh, regarding innovation in financial services. As I as I said, and I'm also a teacher in the fintech segment here at the University of São Paulo, uh, the MBA course here, um, and also a writer. Uh, I had two books published on on fintech. Uh, one about uh, fintech strictly, and the other one about uh, embedded finance. So glad to be back. It's a privilege uh, to be here with all three of you. So welcome. Okay, well, let's dive in. Um, let's start by looking at what role governments traditionally play in financial services. Um, what are some of the main things that governments are really responsible for in financial services? I think, Janae, let's start with you. What, what, what do you see as the sort of core role of, of a government in, in financial services? What's, what role, if any, does a government need to play in financial services? Well, I know um, in the United States, the government has a big role uh, to play in financial service regulation with protecting consumers from fraud and abuse. Um, just this year, we've seen the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau crack down on student loan servicers that have been deceiving borrowers about public service loan forgiveness. Um, we've also seen over the past decade uh, the federal government cracking down on the payday loan industry and other predatory financial services that tend to trap American consumers in debt. Um, I would say recently uh, with the Biden administration, uh, there have been efforts in the United States um, for the government to close the wealth gap between white households and underrepresented groups in the country. Um, the government has really shown responsibility when it comes to establishing racial equity guidelines for financial institutions to abide by. And Congress has been holding a lot of these uh, financial institutions accountable in that regard by holding hearings and having um, CEOs come and and speak on their efforts that they've uh, been doing to protect consumers, but also promote um, financial equity um, for all of their consumers. Bruno, Janae just brought in a whole bunch of positive examples of how a government is uh, intervening to help protect consumers and, and make sure that um, people are treated equally and so on. Have you seen any um, sort of bad examples anywhere in, in Latin America or elsewhere in the world or areas where governments have intervened maybe unhelpfully um, in, in financial services? Sure, definitely. I think there are plenty of examples, but we can focus on perhaps, uh, I think that there's a major impact when the policies uh, go bad, especially in terms of uh, macroeconomics. Um, so we have plenty of examples. We have Venezuela um, in Latin America recently, more recently, in the case of Argentina. And that's a, a something that prevents also um, investment and, you know, all the problems with the wheel spinning here. Mm -hmm. um, and also talking about how to implement some of uh, regulatory pieces uh, that can help unlock possibilities. And we are talking to uh, things from, uh, you know, regulatory sandbox uh, to also um, open finance infrastructure, some type of real-time payments infrastructure. Um, so there are lots of, of, of things that, you know, if, if they don't focus on that, it's problematic. And also, if they are not, um, if they don't take care of uh, the economy uh, properly, it can also be a big, big problem, which we're facing some countries in the region as well. Janine, any different perspectives? Do you agree with the other two? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and my perspective is very much from a UK focus. But I think if we look even back to the crash of 2007, 2008, the, really, the overhaul of, of the uh, regulatory framework after that 
offered an opportunity for a lot of new entrants and a lot of fintechs really to grow and to thrive. And there was everything from, for example, the bank, um, the bank competition remedies that drove a greater establishment of alternative providers that really has helped transform financial services and given those different new entrants a step up in terms of succeeding. And I, the final thought I would have is that in terms of the actions that government makes, it is so directly linked to how investors see a country and see the financial services within that country. So there's a real direct link between investor confidence and the actions that different governments take. So when governments change, and obviously we've just had a presidential election in Brazil, um, Britain has had a number of prime ministers this year, we've had the midterm elections in the States, you know, so plenty of change going on. And you know, other countries like Italy have got new prime ministers too. Um, what what changes? I mean, without sort of going into party politics, does it make a big difference when you get a sort of left-wing government or a right-wing government? Which areas of financial services tend to be disrupted without, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but but what, what tends to change if you see a swing from left to right or right to left? Does it matter? Or do all governments kind of behave in the same kind of way? I'll jump in maybe from the UK perspective here. Um, I think it's been an interesting one, particularly over the past few years, because sometimes there's an assumption to align one party as being closer to business and another party as being further away from business. I think that has really shifted in the past few years, and I believe there is a broader understanding, particularly from a fintech and an innovation perspective, of how important innovation is to be able to serve the end customer, to be able to drive greater financial inclusion, greater financial wellness, and especially in the UK, how important innovation is to serve the SMEs of this country, which is very much the engine of the economy. You know, we've seen post the 2007-2008 crash, um, challenger banks and alternative lenders are now providing more than 65% of all lending to SMEs in the UK. And that has been in a large part, of course, the result of industry and of these new entrants, but also of the facilitation from government uh, through regulation as well. Okay. I, I also wanted to chime in uh, without getting too uh, political that um most presidential administrations have policy priorities for financial services, but for the most part, regulatory framework that's signed into law is is adhered to. Now, there may be some other factors in the periphery that that tend to disrupt areas in financial services, um, like technology adoption or workforce development and even immigration, um, as we've seen with fintech in the past uh, few years uh, through an administration change. Um, but usually with consumer financial protection uh, policy, it can be highly part Medicine, at least in the United States. Uh, to use the example of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, the Trump administration did try to um, you know, replace uh, the chief of the CFPB with a political ally um, with, who had previously introduced legislation to um, dissolve the agency. But in areas that Congress is stagnant or struggling to pass clear laws, there's uh, generally a shift from one administration to the next. Um, since any regulation in those areas uh, fall to leaders in the executive branch. Um, so, you know, looking at how um, leaders are, uh, take a lax approach uh, in one space uh, when there's another administration that takes more of a, a stricter approach, um, that can, you know, that back and forth uh, can cause regulatory uncertainty, which can hinder innovation uh, in financial services. I agree with uh, both uh, Janine and Janae with, uh, with the aspect of 
um, you know, if there's some specific type of, of, um, of focus, for example, in, in, in Brazil, if we're, we're looking at, uh, if there is a, a, a intention from a, a political party that is now in, in, in really ruling, they can boost, for example, some type of, uh, support, uh, accelerate something around the, uh, financial inclusion, for example, using, um, some specific measures or politics, politics for that. So uh, I think that even though we also have a very well-established, and we can discuss that specifically in Brazil, in the Brazilian case, which recently we had an autonomy from the central bank, which separates uh, the political cycle to the monetary uh, cycle here. So we have a mismatch here uh, uh, when, uh, you know, change the politics, we can spe- expect some uh, continuity in the process of uh, economics in the, the economy. But anyway, I think that that change in, in, in government also influence how some specific uh, things are, are, are held by those uh, politicians. Janine, the UK government has sometimes been pointed to as an example of a, of a government that has sort of encouraged innovation you know, in the UK over the sort of past decade or so. Um, are there other countries that, that where you've seen governments sort of doing some good things and sort of driving innovation. I mean, the, the French government was sort of talking about trying to get Paris to overtake London, and I, I know British people shouldn't really talk about Britain competing with France. You're um, <laughs> maybe slightly more neutral, I don't know. Um, are, are, there, are there governments elsewhere in the world that you sort of looked at and said, you know, that government in that country has done some good things to, to sort of promote um, innovation? Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe I'll take that sort of in two parts, because I think you're absolutely right when you say the UK government has really put uh, a drive for innovation at its core. So even Innovate Finance, we are a completely independent, we're a not-for-profit entity, but we actually were developed off the back of a government consultation back in 2014, because there was a real desire from government to understand how Uh, we could create something that was going to better support the fintech community. And then very similar back in 2018, uh, the then Chancellor Rishi Sunak commissioned what we know now as the Khalifa Review of UK Fintech, which was done by Ron Khalifa. Innovate Finance was pleased to serve as the co-secretariat for that alongside the City of London. But that very much paved the way forward uh, with a strategy of how to support innovation and growth in financial services. And in addition to that, last year at the Innovate Finance Global Summit, the Economic Secretary to the Treasury announced a forward future plan specifically around uh, making the UK the global hub for digital assets and for digital finance. So we've seen really positive engagement from, I should say, the Conservative Party, but also from the Labour Party. In particular, of the past few years, we have engagement from Rachel Reeves, Keir Starner, and Tulip Sadiq in particular. When I look around the world, I think that we are seeing some governments um, trying to really, really leapfrog what's been done here in the UK. So something I say quite often when I'm in the room with government and that we at industry are continually voicing is the need to act right now. Uh, and not to be slow. So, for example, I think Singapore is doing some really interesting things when you looked at the crypto and the digital assets space. So the UK has consistently been second in the world in terms of fintech investment, second only to the US. Um, However, on a vertical basis, Singapore, for the very first time, leapfrogged the UK in terms of investment into crypto or uh, digital asset firms last year. So there is some great work being done uh, out in that region, but I still think that the UK 
uh, really has a leadership in terms of the support that we're seeing from government. We just need to continue to see that going forward and, and really push for timely, effective um, action as well. You've led us very nicely into our next section, which is where I wanted to talk about um, how the different markets are being shaped by the respective governments. So you've given us a fantastic overview of how the UK government has shaped um, the fintech market in, in, in the UK. Janae, let's talk about the, the, the states. What role has the US government um, played in the development of fintech in, in the states? Because from a European perspective, looking across, the American government always seems a little bit more hands-off than the more sort of dirigiste European governments. Is, is that fair or is it, has the, has, would you say the American government's played a big role in encouraging fintech, uh, fintechs in the states? Well, I would say looking at the history of, of fintech in the United States, the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank created uh, the original Fedwire system to move money from Federal Reserve to Federal Reserve. So back then, you know, that technology was cutting edge. And I feel like that laid of groundwork for um, financial innovation and, fin and fintech promotion in the United States um, from then up until now. Um, the U.S. government set a precedent back then, which inspired private companies to throughout the years to innovate the financial services space and build on increasing accessibility, convenience, and also choice for the American consumer. Uh, just thinking about, you know, financial products that we use worldwide, uh, like credit cards, uh, ACH payments, and, and even credit scoring in some countries. Um, these are all technological innovations at one point, and they were introduced by private companies and with the support of the U.S. government were adopted uh, by financial institutions and are now things that we are using every day. These are things that are household uh, terms to all of us. And so we're seeing similar themes and engagement with modern fintech companies, uh, with the federal government encouraging innovation in the space. Um, just last year, President Biden signed an executive order which promotes uh, competition in the American economy, uh, which includes the support of new market entrants to financial services uh, incumbents um, right now. So, you know, agencies like the Department of Treasury and the Federal Trade Commission um, regularly engaging with fintech companies and other industry leaders to kind of discuss some operational barriers and identify potential regulatory solutions together um, really helps build that bridge between uh, the private uh, sector and, and the federal government. Um, just looking at that as a whole, the, the United States is really um, uh, creating a space for fintechs to grow and innovate by collaborating and even in some states, um, you know, having a regulatory sandbox where, you know, uh, fintech companies can operate uh, with that regulatory oversight and collaboration with policymakers and industry leaders. And I noticed in what you were talking about, you were talking a lot about sort of government agencies, but, but also things like central banks and, and um, independent regulators. The the administration itself, you know, did, did the Trump administration do anything in particular for for fintech, um, or, or or not particularly? I mean, you know, have we have we missed something big that the Trump administration did for fintech? I would say um, the Trump administration um, definitely had an agenda when it comes to um, you know creating a, more of a lax uh, regulatory atmosphere. I would say that it wasn't as forward thinking as President Biden because sometimes when you have a, a Wild West style regulatory atmosphere, it can slow innovation um, because you know having rules of the road and having mm -hmm. some some type of regulation uh, protects businesses and ensures stability um, in that market and also 
also attracts investment. And this is something that we're seeing currently in the United States with um, the lack of regulatory clarity around digital assets. Uh, When you're just allowed to run rampant, there's no clear rules of the road. It actually hinders uh, people interested in, in participating in that in that marketplace. And so uh, that's something that um, we've seen with, um, you know, Trump, you know, he's very pro-business, very pro-tech, and he uh, signed a couple of uh, executive orders promoting that. But just looking at um, some of the other things in his administration, like his stances on immigration and its impact, you know, I think that with, Mm. you know, you can say that you're pro-business, but if you're vocally anti-immigrant and, you know, a large volume of skilled workers in the fintech industry are from abroad, you know, are you really pro-business? Are you really pro-technology? So those are some some things that, you know, I thought about, you know, just analyzing uh, his administration and his measures uh, for fintech compared to the Biden administration right now. Very, very interesting points. Brune, let's come to, to, to you. And I'd love to talk about Brazil specifically, because Brazil is producing some some real fintech champions now, you know, firms like um, Newbank or uh, Belvo and so on that are not just big in Brazil, but, you know, ha- having success across Latin America and, and, and beyond. What, what role did the government play in fintech taking off in Brazil? Has this been just private companies just getting on with it? Or did the government or previous governments do things that were directly helpful? Yeah, I believe that... Uh previous administration helped in the process. Uh, for example, when we uh, now we have a very clear regulatory framework for many different uh, verticals of fintech. So it's something that started back in 2013 um, with uh, some clarity around payment institutions here, uh, which laid the foundations for a new bank, for example, to uh, to to appear uh, that that's when they they were founded so that was important but in the previous years I think uh, in the last two to three years we had uh, a, a real acceleration in the process uh, led by the central bank uh, regulatory sandboxes uh, in in front in different regulators because we have different regulators here we have one regulatory sandbox for the from the insurance regulator, one for the central bank, and another one for the SEC, the Brazilian SEC, uh, Security and Exchange Commission here called CVM. Uh, so that helped a lot. Uh, open finance, all, all the things that have uh, been done in terms of uh, laying the foundation and creating the framework for open finance in a very fast-paced way. I think it's important. Uh, PIX, which is our uh, real-time uh, payment system here, which was uh, put in place in 2020, and now it's uh, it, it's mainstream. It's a, it's a, a benchmark for the world. So I think all of that ha- helped in the process of giving clarity uh, for investors. So uh, that's that's why I think in the in the latest rank, the rank I think last year or this year rank that Innovate Finance uh, produced uh, about fintech investment, and Brazil got the the, the, the position number five. Um, so, you know, in, in Latin America, we are, uh, outstanding. Uh, so it's, it, it, we are, we are really a benchmark. So that's, that's something that I believe that's due to all those process of, uh, how, uh, good, uh, policies on, uh, on, on innovation have been implemented. And I'm really looking forward to see the continuity of, of, of that, despite of who's, um, governing the country. So what I'm hearing from sort of all, all three of you is you're sort of really talking about governments putting in place sort of good guardrails and clear rules and so on, as opposed to the sort of Wild West scenario where it's uncertain for businesses what, what's going to happen. Um, is there a sort of 
right balance between sort of government action, government intervention, and letting the market decide? Um, what, what, what's the, the right balance? Maybe Ginny and I can come to you first on that one. Is, is, there, a, is there a sort of right balance there? It's a great question, uh, and I think it depends where on what issue you're looking at, I would probably say. But I think it has to be a mix of both, because there is a need for, for governments at times to step in, I think particularly when you look at the regulatory front, which is slightly different, but that is really important. And Janae, I think one of the points you brought up, saying that especially for innovation, deregulation or no regulation is not a good thing, right? Our members are consistently calling out for regulation. Um, but at the same time, we also see so much happening from industry and from business because you're just very able to be a bit more agile, to be a bit more flexible by the nature of being a fintech. Uh, so you can move things um, much more quickly and, and, and have that type of pace that you wouldn't necessarily see with the structures that are represented from a government space. So I think it needs to be a mix of both sides. I also, um, I agree with Janine, and I also um, like the the use of uh, the sandboxes in Brazil uh, that Bruno mentioned. I am a big proponent of the use of regulatory sandboxes um, where governments are actually incentivizing innovative fintechs by excluding them from any sort of enforcement action or regulatory consequence uh, while their products are being used in a controlled testing environment. I feel like this is a great way to really explore this nascent industry and some Sometimes um, with fintechs and, and such, especially with digital assets, uh, the, the technology is, is outpacing the regulation and it's outpacing the bureaucracy of, of governments. So I, I really like the use of regulatory sandboxes in that regard. Um, but I think that there must be a, a careful balance uh, when it comes to uh, letting the market um, and, and government, the back and forth between uh, incentives and letting the marketplace decide. There should be a careful balance because regulation provide necessary protections and encourage startup innovation, um, but you also don't want to hinder the development of traditional institutions, products, services, and platforms by heavily favoring um, startup innovation over traditional institutions that are oftentimes developing that same technology as well. Um, I also think that marketplace activity can help governments gauge the extent of potential involvement. So this is something that we're seeing in the digital asset space, just looking at all of the things that are happening in current events uh, right now with digital assets. You know, government is looking at, you know, how how do we get involved? What is the extent that we need to get involved? And looking at some of the, the major events that have happened this past year in, in the digital asset space, the SEC and other regulators are, are leaning towards enforcement actions instead of uh, collaborating and finding a solution towards, you know, any, um, you know, pain points that the marketplace may have. Yep. Bruno. For sure, yeah, yeah. I, I think this this mix is is very important, and uh, I also believe that the regulatory sandbox are important instruments and in, and in trying to fast track all this this innovation to the market. Uh, but I also believe that when you look at places like Latin America, different countries in the region, uh, which we still have. Um, you know, the, the concentration of, of the financial market in, in, in the back of the big banks is, is, is very important to create ways and facilitate uh, means for, for new entrants. So I think it's, and that's something very, very important in, the, in, in our local context here. Uh, another thing I think it's important mentioning is uh, I think that with the 
the recent experience with open finance implementation, uh, I think the market is understanding this whole concept of uh, having the central bank def defining the basic framework and having a different stakeholders participating in the discussion. Uh, just like similar to what was done in the, with the OBIE uh, in the UK, I, I think it's the definition of standards and having everyone in the table in a very interactive, interactive uh, way so that uh, it's not like a bunch of bureaucrats in a room defining what the market will, will do regarding specific, even regarding technological aspects, but uh, rather than having uh, a different group formed by, by representatives from different stakeholders uh, to, to debate and discuss uh, what would be the ideal uh, path. So that, that's been very, very interesting. And I think that uh, that's a very good way to approach that. Combine it with um, uh, means and instruments like uh, like the sandbox, the regulatory sandbox. There's a lot of good advice for regulators coming through in the in the comments the three of you are making. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here, and we will be back very shortly. How will Web three unlock the future of financial services and change the way we think about money? Our first ever Web three report takes a deep dive into the biggest conversation taking place in finance. Unpacking tokens, stablecoins, ESG, DAOs, DeFi, regulation, and so much more. We also take a look at the opportunities it presents for your business. For crypto natives and newbies, head to 11fs.com forward slash Web3 report to download it today and get Web3 ready. So now let's have a think about how things uh, look today and where they could lead in the future. Um, Janine, let's start, let's start with you and, and the UK. So we've had 12 years or so of conservative government. What's been the long-term sort of impact of that on, on, the, on the fintech sector? And, and what can we expect from the new um, UK Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak? Yeah, absolutely. And as I, as I referenced earlier, I think we've seen strong support from the UK government uh, over the past, since really 2007, 2008, in terms of supporting the new entrants. Uh, Rishi Sunak, when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, he commissioned the Khalifa Review, which was all about creating this roadmap to help support UK fintech and help ensure that the UK remains a global leader for financial innovation. So we expect the same type of support going forward under his role as PM. Um, and we're looking forward to being able to work with the government closely and particularly with HMT and the likes also of DIT as well. And I would also mention it's very important that we work across all areas of government because thinking about, for example, with the home office, making sure that we have access to talent, not only on the domestic basis, but looking at that international talent uh, and that things like scale up visas is really core for us to help drive growth in the ecosystem too. It's interesting because you're picking up on on Janae's point earlier about uh, sort of immigration and the the, the threat that that being too tough on immigration has to um, has to fintechs. But I'm going to pick up a slightly controversial point with you, Anjani. I mean, there are some people who sort of said, oh, you know, the British government is asleep at the wheel. You know, the UK government's sort of losing the plot. It's not doing enough to support fintech. Britain's going to lose its edge. Paris is going to overtake. Brazil's going to overtake. Uh, <laughs> Singapore is going to overtake. Uh, is, is that fair? 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I really think we're very much at the forefront, right? And if you look at even just investment numbers, as I said earlier, we had 11.6 billion US dollars in 2021. The first six months of this year alone, we had 9.5 billion US dollars invested into the UK ecosystem. That is actually ahead of all of Europe combined. And so we very much have a leadership role here to play. Um, I think if you look at the United States, it's a different type of a market. So there's a different risk appetite. Um, however, looking at regulation, it's a much more challenging space because you have not only the federal regulation, you have regulation in 50 different states. Uh, and it is that kind of broken broken up area in terms of managing all of those different different regulators. So I think we have a strength here in the UK that is based on both having a proactive regulator, and it's really critical that we continue to move forward with that, and also having that supportive government. I mean, there is a bill which is currently moving through at the moment known as the Financial Services and Markets Bill. One of the core components of that bill for the fintech ecosystem is the secondary objective for the regulators, uh, particularly the FCA, around international competitiveness. And we believe that's absolutely critical to push ahead with because we think it would enable faster regulation, more appropriate regulation, um, and really allow fintech to thrive as well. That will be good to see. Bruno, uh, Latin American fintech has doubled in size over the past three years. How much of that is is, is down to, to governments um, helping or, or, or even just, just getting out of the way? Um, has, has government played a big part in that, do you think? Yeah, I will, if, I, if I consider specifically the regulator, the Central Bank of Brazil, that was very, very important. Uh, I think for, for all the different policies, the different regulatory aspects that was were, have been explored, uh, and not only that, because... For example, to put in place an infrastructure such as PIX as a real-time payments infrastructure, it takes an effort and, and, and it takes also uh, people that are qualified to do that uh, in, inside the regulator. Uh, so I, I think it was very important. <clears throat> but as I mentioned, um, depending on, on you know, the changes we're going to have, we're going to have a change in management right now. Uh, but I, the, the, the fact that we have the autonomy for the central bank uh, and we are going to have the same administration for the central bank with the same uh, policies and the, the, the implementation of a central bank digital currency pretty soon. Uh, and it's going to end at, uh, uh, at the end of 2024. So the, the, the midterms of the management of uh, the next president. So, um, so it gives a, give me a little bit of comfort. Um, but yes, definitely, uh, we had a lot of, um, good things coming from, from the Central Bank of Brazil. We don't have this, this, the same vision as a governmental vision, just like the UK had in terms of being the forefront of the industry for innovation and financial services. It's not something that it's, it's the vision of, I think, the Central Bank. Uh, region-wise, but not uh, perhaps globally, just like uh, I think the, the the ambitions in the UK are, uh, and and it's, and you guys are, are really doing the, the the best in this in this sense, exporting regulation as well. So um, I think it's a different play, but uh, the central bank is pretty much aligned on on making this agenda uh, going. The, the obvious question to ask you though is: is do you expect to see a difference um, between? from Lula compared with Bolsonaro's policies. Um, I mean, so you're saying the central bank is going to stay much the same, but do, do you think financial services and fintech is going to be a priority for Lula? 
Yeah, yeah not, not quite sure. In fact, he didn't even announce his uh, economic team. I think we don't have um, a clue. At, at, at the time we are recording this podcast. Too early. Uh, there, Too early. There is, yeah, there is, there is no... But uh, for Bolsonaro, it was pretty clear who would uh, remain as his, his team for uh, economic, uh, in the economy side and uh, all, of that, all of that. But um, we still don't have clarity uh, on that. But what make me uh, comfortable with is the fact that the current administration of the central bank is going to stay there for two additional years. So um, I don't know if Lula will come with uh, some type of focus on financial inclusion. I think a lot has been done in terms of financial inclusion, especially with PICS implementation. Uh, but there are some additional things to be done, uh, for example, regarding uh, SME lending and how uh, can you know the, regulate, the, the government boost the, the, this type of thing, just like happened in the, in the UK. Uh, you guys passed the law. Uh, in which uh, I think it was an important one that uh, a bank got to a point, for example, uh, uh, a fintech in case they reject a lending uh, from for for an SME. I think it, small things and also the big policies are very important in the sense as well. Are there any particular policies that you'd really like to see coming from governments going forward? And this doesn't necessarily have to be about your own countries of you know, Brazil or the States or um, um, the UK, but are there some things that you'd like to see going forward? I mean, Janae was talking about um, digital inclusion, uh, financial inclusion. Um, maybe start with you, Janine. Are there, are there things you'd particularly like to see in the UK or just in, in, but from governments worldwide to, to support fintech and financial services? Yeah, I, I think on a worldwide basis, I think just a broader understanding of how important technology and fintech is in terms of driving a more inclusive financial services sector. So driving greater access, making it more democratic, and really ensuring that individuals and SMEs can benefit from these new technologies. I mean, there's a huge opportunity um, there to transform financial services for the better. And I think fintechs hold a very core key to that as well. I think in the UK in particular, we also would really like to see a joined up and cohesive approach towards regulation. So making sure that the different departments of government are working together and having a, a single strategy in terms of approaching the different verticals of innovation as well. Bruno, what would, what would you like to see um, going forward? What would you like to see governments around the world doing? Yeah, I think something regarding global interoperability, I think would be good, would be great. I think there are some initiatives out there, the GFIN, right? right? Uh, that's led by the UK, uh, the Global F uh, Financial Innovation Network. Um, and I think that if we saw a more active role on, on, on initiatives like this, um, trying to normalize or at least have some um, components that are you know, interoperable in terms of like, for example, a, a regulatory sandbox. So once a company is onboarded in the regulatory uh, sandbox process in the UK, it make them easier to contemplate other uh, jurisdictions. So that would help us in a global way to address uh, things like uh, moving money, cross borders, uh, about innovation, innovating and bringing an innovation that's happening right now in Singapore to other parts of the world quickly, quicker. So that, that, that type of thing. Fantastic. What about you, Janae? What do you think? For me, I would like to see more investment in financial technology in Africa. This is one of the youngest continents in the world, and there is a lot of uh, talent 
in that continent, young talent that are interested, that are eager, that have been innovating in fintech for decades. Uh, just thinking about why fintechs um, are so popular in the United States is because they are filling a void that traditional financial institutions have not been uh, providing for consumers. And thinking about uh, countries in Africa, there is a lack of infrastructure. Um, there is a lack of uh, technology available. And when you see these young minds coming together to create products, innovative products to bridge that gap, um, it really it really shows promise um, and it's something that we can learn from. Um, so I, I, I definitely would like to see more investments in, in the continent and I would like to see more of a talent exchange uh, in the continent um, between Africa and the United States. I, I love that. We've seen a ton of innovation coming out of Africa, but I agree with, with more support. It would be amazing. Okay, I'm going to ask you all one last quick fire question. So if we come back to that initial question of how do changes in government affect innovation in financial services, what I'm kind of hearing from you is it doesn't really matter whether it's a left-wing or a right-wing government. It's sort of, does the government want to drive it forward? Um, what do you think? How do changes in government affect innovation? Janine? So I think at the end of the day, in industry just gets on with it. Right. Uh, and one of the reasons I love working in the fintech community so much, and I should give some background, I used to work uh, at Chatham House for many years. And actually before that, the Brazilian American Chamber of Commerce for many years. Uh, so I have always been sort of at the cross section. The reason I love fintech is because I think at the end of the day, industry just takes things and moves ahead with it. So when there are changes in government, yes, it causes a bit of a blip. It causes everyone to sort of reassess and maybe there's going to be differences in terms of policy. I think the biggest issue is then around regulation, so making sure that we all have one coherent um, understanding of where we are with regulation is really, really important. But at the end of the day, innovators will still innovate no matter what. Uh, and one of the reasons fintech is so amazing at what, uh, what they do are because they look at obstacles as challenges to overcome. And I think that will continue no matter what. Janae, what, what's your final call on or your final thoughts on how, how governments affect innovation? Well, I, I think um, just looking at the recent uh, midterm elections, um, you know, governments definitely affect innovation by uh, the people that are elected to represent constituents. Um, just thinking about, you know, some of our, our younger members of Congress who have been moving the needle on awareness of digital assets. We have younger uh, millennial uh, Congress people. We have now a, a new uh, Gen Z uh, Congress person being represented in the House of Representatives. And so having those digital native voices, um, you know, advocating uh, in government and having uh, more people in the administration um, actively uh, learning and educating themselves by um, reaching out to um, industry leaders and reaching out to good actors in fintech. Um, these are definitely ways to, to move that needle uh, when it comes to uh, ensuring that government supports innovation for the long term. Fantastic. And lastly, uh, last thoughts to you, Bruno. Yeah, well, I agree with Janine in a big part of it. Like, uh, I think there's the saying, you know, of Jurassic Park, which is life finds a way, right? Uh, but anyways, I think that's very important having um, some type of support. When you look at Latin America, I just, uh, I said in earlier uh, that uh, we need, uh, the, the problem with the concentration in the market is, is, is a big issue. Uh, I think it's important for countries in the region to lay the foundations at least uh, so that we can make sure 
uh, that uh, you know the, the basic groundwork is, is being done in terms of uh, regulatory pieces. And I think the final word would be like, uh, just don't get in the way. <laughs> Sometimes uh, <laughs> it's just not about supporting. It's just about not getting in the way. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that would be my final thoughts on, on, on that. Well, that's, I think. that's a wonderful way to wrap up just today's discussion. Thank you all so much. You've been fantastic guests. Thank you so much for joining me. I've learned so much. I've loved this. Um, where can people find out more about uh, you and your companies, uh, Janine? Yes, we are at www.innovatefinance.com uh, and we are also on LinkedIn and Twitter and I am as well. Uh, Janae? My organization can be found at www.progresschamber.org and we are on Twitter at Progress Chamber. My personal Twitter is at Janae EO. And Bruno? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you can find me. Basically, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So uh, Bruno Genies, if you type it, uh, I'll be there. And if you, if you type FinTech, I think it's easy, even easier. <laughs> uh, and my company is www.spiralen, which is S-P-I-R-A-L-E-M.com. Uh, and, and in Twitter, I think at Twitter is Bruno E.V. Genies. Uh, uh, you can also find me there. So glad to be here again, again guys. And you can find me, Benjamin Ensor, on LinkedIn uh, or at 11fs.com. So thank you all so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, do leave us a review. Give us suggestions of what you'd like us to cover in the future. Um, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Fintech Insider or email us at podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much and goodbye. Goodbye.